0: Thank <music> you. to another episode of sex on shuffle i am your host cindy lee your succulent sexologist here with another amazing guest the magical you hear my thighs jennifer driver amazing work amazing human being i'm gonna let her talk about herself hi i'm gonna let you talk about yourself because i'm talking like you're not even here um i'm so excited to be here to have this conversation
1: excited to be here with you
0: because um, I know we we talk to each other in, in the various spaces that we work together, but to be able to really hone in on all the goodness that you have brought before I met you, during I met you, and what the future holds for you as a reproductive health and rights and justice advocate and doing this work, particularly with policy. And I'd like to, you know, highlight your consulting, right? You as a new founder. Yes what future you see for us as sexuality professionals, for us in terms of incorporating justice into our work and what it means to steward our communities towards whatever liberation looks like for us. I love that. Yes, I love that. Yes, talk to me.
1: Hi. Yes, hi. I am Jennifer Driver, she, her pronouns. Uh, I always start off by telling folks that I am from Alabama because I think it really shaped how I look at, um, not only policy, but the field of sex education and who has access to what, Mm -hmm. um, and the type of sex education that you receive, depending on where you live, even if it's zip code by zip code, state by state, whatever. Um, as you mentioned, I just started this new venture, uh, with consulting. That's interesting. Uh, take root strategies. Uh, I struggled with the name. Actually, that was not the name that I originally came up with, but I mm-hmm. forgot the name. That's how um, anxiety inducing starting a new consulting business is. But I got the LLC back and it was the name that I went with. And um, here I am. We, I work on uh, policy in the reproductive health rights and justice space. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything from sex education to condom availability, contraceptive access to abortion, uh, you name it. This is what I work on, and currently, my one of my biggest projects is really looking at um, system-involved young people, so youth and, and juvenile justice and foster care, uh, and how we address sex education in various various institutional settings.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. oh. there is no one-size-fits-all, which happens sometimes in There's our field. There's
1: not, and people want there to be. Like they're mm-hmm. like, okay. This, I want to do this, this with everyone. And that's not how that works. I want to use this one same curriculum with every single population, regardless of who they are, where they're right. from, who, just anything. This is the one I want to go with. And I want to go with this one because it's the cheapest. And For so 20 plus years. Like, exactly. Right. <laughs> I evaluated this program in 1969. It's 2020 and
0: it'll still work, right?
1: Right, right. So it's interesting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I and I hope there's shifts happening because of so many of us that already know that things will change as soon as we publish today. They're yes. be
1: Yes. That's why online stuff is still great, right? Because you can go in really easily update it and you know and constantly make those changes that need to be that need to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it also and some ways can make it more accessible, right? Um, like if I have to wait for something to be mailed, or right. have to, you know, publish like a book piece. And to your point, then it's outdated the, the second right. I uh, publish it and put it out there. So it's it's really challenging to do that. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. And with the nuance, right? Because there are still folks that don't have access to internet. So we know that there's still a need for published things. But it's just that's, to that's rely, right. rely on it, right? Like to rely on this curriculum as, as if it doesn't have updates, as if the young people haven't told y'all and us. Like I know myself, my young people would be like, really, let's talk about sex in 2000 so That's right.
1: So for, for like to keep it updated, mm-hmm. I think it's really helpful for it to be somewhere digital. I agree with you on on the the publishing it for access to, if you, you don't have um internet access i mean again from alabama there are parts of alabama we it takes us like four weeks just to get some type of mail um mm. much less if you're even going to get internet access so um you know we're riding around with the little things on our cars just so that we can get some type of service right um out there so yeah i i agree there needs to be some publication if it just needs to um, we just have to figure out how we keep things updated you know um And, or if we don't let people know, look, I published this here, you're going to need to keep updating this because Mm -hmm. even as it hit the press, it's already outdated.
0: And and I think that's the issue um, that comes up when it comes to these grants that are rooted in certain policies, right? But these grants want these evidence-based curricula as if there is no limitations in the evidence and as if it's going to stay as updated as it was because I know I think my you know from myself I think our field needs to do better and I know that our field has lack of access in comparison to like other fields doing other kinds of research right sexuality education is not prioritized and still especially for folks who have experience on the ground we know that we what it feels like to not be prioritized and still support the folks that we're supporting in the ways that they need it
1: that's exactly, so sex education, sexuality education is not prioritized at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I branched out, I do really broad because, you know, it allows me to bring in funding to, to help supplement the work that I do around sexuality education, especially mm-hmm. around policy. Policy is not funded, you know, really at all. But mm-hmm. um, there was something that you had said around um, those grants, that's mm-hmm. what it was. Those grants will get you every time. So, they want you to tell you, they want you to come in with this deficit frame, name all the things that are wrong with the community, Mm -hmm. but you're supposed to go and take this little eight week program, 12 week program, and that's supposed to change some outcomes. Right. And, like, what is that? Um, And so, you know, and why policy is so important to me is that I feel like through that work, we can change agencies who Mm -hmm. are funding these, especially those federal grants, right? Putting people, in positions who know about community and know what it's actually going to take to, ch- to actually get these outcomes that you're wanting. Um, but this deficit frame eight week program for $5,000 is not getting it, you know? Right. And, and so, uh, we have work to do.
0: <laughs> right. So let let's scale back a little and bring up, you know, the work around sexuality and how sexuality can be so interdisciplinary and we can come from all these different walks of life what led you either to sexuality or you know whatever came first sexuality or the policy piece because i know there's a a, i i've heard your story about how you got into policy but i want to know if sexuality came before during or after that like how did they mesh the
1: sexuality actually came first Mm -hmm. um i was doing um sex ed programs in Atlanta, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I had gotten I had received this project to do it in Alabama and and Georgia. Uh, But the education parts of it came first we were delivering curricula um, throughout Georgia. uh, And that was my love, you know, training educators, uh, working with young people. I connect a little bit better with adults who are going in to work with young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think there are people who are really strong at connecting with young people. I'm really strong with connecting with adults and who are going to be working with the young people. So that's where I knew my, my lane was, mm-hmm. but it was always the sexuality part and helping people who did not get quality sex ed, which is the majority of folks improve the sex ed education that they were going to deliver for young people. Uh, so that's how I got into it and then the policy piece I fell into um, mainly because seeing who wasn't getting sex education um, when I was doing these this work it was you know we were doing these programs and we were facilitating sex education curricula to black and brown folks but the folks who were getting comprehensive sex education were white kids right in these school systems and that was not okay, obviously, and so I got into policy because of looking at, you know, the barriers and the access piece, Uh, and that's how I kind of fell into policy.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's so necessary considering, I know for myself, I didn't learn a lot of policy outside of volunteering at Planned Parenthoods and lobbying, right? Like, that was my only lived experience around policy, because I've always been in the understanding, like, yes, policy exists, And I also know we have to find ways to kind of fit within it, like whatever parameters that exist, how do we still need to um, make whatever accommodations we need to make for our communities. So it's not, I I can't imagine the labor of even getting the policies that have been put in place. So what was your work or your experience in the particular policies that you worked with or worked around or like prioritized?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was anything from kind of at the state level, developing the legislate, like drafting the legislation, um, meeting with legislators to even say like, hey, sex education is um, missing in your state. And here's what, you know, here's what's needed. Mm -hmm. um, And here's what we need to focus on. And so that was at the state level, but even at a very micro level, working with school districts and saying, hey, I know you're underfunded. And at the same time, We need a strong policy to say, yes, we can be able to do sex education in the schools because, you know, as much as there are teachers who do want to do sex ed, they're not, they're worried. You know, I'm not going to lose my job over something that I really want to do if we don't have a policy for. And so it it needed to be uniformed, right? Because Mm -hmm. You know, as I said, sex education can vary by state. It also varies classroom to classroom. Mm. You know, if I get, you know, Miss Cindy Lee Alves as my teacher versus whoever, Cindy Lee Alves knows sex education, right? Mm. She knows how to, to facilitate this. If my cousin is in the next classroom and that person doesn't want sex education at all, doesn't want to do it, then they're not going to get it. So we're, I'm getting sex edu- sexuality education and they're not. Um, just based on what classroom I show up in,
0: absolutely. No, absolutely, because that that shows that if these fidelity checklists from these curricula come out with positives, is it necessarily because of the curriculum that you created, or is it instructor specific? Is it? I think it's, it's both. Right, right, right,
1: right. I think I think it's the curriculum, but I think it is all about who's delivering the program. Um, and in, in the, you know, how they're delivering it. If I have this really dry teacher who's doing this and facilitating this, I'm going to tune them out, right? Because that's mm-hmm. boring. But if I have someone with a lot of energy, someone who can connect it, understands kind of the, the real life experiences of young people, those young people are going to connect more. Also, when you can see yourself, um, whether you're LGBTQ, right? Whether you're Black, you're Brown, whether you're an immigrant, if you can see yourself reflected in the curriculum that you're receiving, then you're going to, it's going to hit differently, yeah. right? And so that's been some of the struggles that we've had. Uh, and I think policy allows us to account for some of these things, right? So policy will ensure that there, is te- that there are teacher trainings. It will ensure that the right folks are coming into the schools to do these, um, deliver these programs. It will ensure that um, folks lived experiences, regardless of where they come from, Um, allows them to be reflected in the information that they receive. And that's what I really love about policy, the ability that policy has in doing this work.
0: Mm. So can you say in your experience of when you started getting into policy to now, because some folks just get into the field and get disillusioned or jaded, but has not seen the trajectory. Do you think that we have been in an upswing in terms of um, increasingly more susceptible to having comprehensive or more support, or does it still feel like the same as when you first got into the work?
1: Oh no, I feel, I feel like we are definitely making strides, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I first got into the work, the framing was all public health, right? Mm-hmm. It was a teen pregnancy prevention programs, It was HIV risk reduction. Um, and that's really where the states and districts and folks in communities were, were at. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what, 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 was being funded. Uh, now you're seeing, and there was no talk about BTQ folks, um, at all. Right. And that was that not to, and when you talked about a black kid or a brown, you know, they, they were talked about from, oh, you're coming from this single parent household, more likely to get HIV, all of these negative mm-hmm. indicators. Um, and that was the framing that was being put out there. And then on top of that, we were putting out these, these bullshit um <laughs> lines around success sequencing. And I, I was trying to think about there's just no other way to say it. The yeah. idea that you have to finish high school, graduate, go to college, get a job before and marry before you have kids, and that's what's gonna take you out of poverty. Get the fuck out of here. Like right. no, like that's not how that works. And so Um, I I think that what you're seeing now is a pushback, hopefully more so than what I had seen in the past of the success sequencing. There's a pushback and a rejection of kind of this teen pregnancy prevention framing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've come so far on what we know around HIV and AIDS, right? And so there are different messages that you're seeing around that, especially from a policy standpoint. Do I think that we have come far, like that we still have a lot of work to do? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I do think that we've made some strides.
0: Yeah, because I want to bring up that nuance because sometimes it feels disheartening, but then we also need to look at where it was. And it's a slow progress and it it doesn't... Um, it doesn't deserve like these accolades from these people in power that are putting that in place. Like, it's not to give them a kudos, but it's to show the work that's been done by the folks doing the work as much as they can, like, regardless of the pushback.
1: The other thing that I will say is I see a lot of work happening underground Mm -hmm. that doesn't get the visibility. Um, And it's on purpose, right? That they're doing this behind the scenes so that they can continue to do this. Right. Right. There are places that, are doing so for instance um i'm in the DMB area so in maryland very you know moderately red state it's starting to go a little purple but uh, mostly red state In mm-hmm. these very conservative pockets that are actually doing comprehensive sex ed oh, deep wow. down in red part of virginia doing comprehensive sex education now they're not going to bring attention to it because they mm-hmm. don't want it to go away mm. um and they haven't made it a political issue. They know the benefits of comprehensive sex education. Um, and so they're doing it. And so in that space, to me, I think that there are a lot of wins happening that we may not, they may not hit you or see, be right in the face. Yeah. Um, but it, there are success and wins happening.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a good transition to tying into... Um, what's happening currently in terms of our political climate, right? Like folks are seeing whatever president was selected, right? Like there's still, you know, beef around that, around whether or not a president was selected, but I think it just connects to what you're saying because regardless of that being a thing, like whoever our president is, the work is being done locally, right? The work is being done on the ground.
1: I, that, so that's what I constantly remind people, right? So we looked at this this election cycle. We have all dealt with the trauma and the frustration of what has just happened. Um, we know Trump is leaving mm-hmm. and Biden is coming in, right? But at the same time, you know, people were paying attention so much to the federal level, not enough attention was being paid to very localized levels. Mm-hmm. Um, my fear, especially as it relates to sexuality education and uh, kind of reproductive health rights and justice, kind of the work, mm-hmm. is that so much backward stepping happened under this past election that we have a lot of work that's going to need to um, take place 20, 2021 and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of conservative reds. Um, Republican, um, anti-sex education, anti-choice legislators, and localized members who are elected to their position, Mm -hmm. but nobody was paying attention to it because we were all looking at that clusterfuck of a presidential election, right? And so my fear is because we weren't paying attention, there is a lot of um, defensive work that we're going to need to to do um, in the near future
0: mm -hmm. And finding a way to balance having to mobilize that and continue whatever progression it is that is being, is happening. Exactly right. So for sexuality professionals or for anyone who's listening and wants to be invested in doing this work, where do you, where would you direct them to in terms of, um, being more aware of what they're doing locally or what's happening nationwide in terms of policy and and sexuality
1: and sex ed? That's a really good question. Um, So what I always tell people at the local level is really pay attention to who's um, running these school boards, right? Mm. Um, Who's making the decisions at the very district level and how are they showing up? So in Gwinnett County in Georgia, I could tell um, how their district was going to be, and you know where they were, what movement was going to happen around sex education, based on one or two of the board members that were over, kind of the Gwinnett County Board of um, School Board. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I look at who's you know heading up the state Board of Education in your state, right? Mm-hmm. So what is their background? Where are their um, general stances on? Um, sex education, like what have they been saying? So that's another place to start paying attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I would look at who's being elected as state legislature uh, and your state legislature. So in your state houses, because um, that's going to kind of be the head and all of the other things will generally um, kind of, it'll trickle down. It'll also trickle up, but it'll trickle down you know, change happens when, you know, movement or something rumbles up at the very community level. And then, you know, the state legislature generally will follow. And then sometimes it happens in reverse. The state legislature will do something and then it'll trickle down and change happens. Um, But I, uh, to your point, really looking at those very localized spots Mm -hmm. um, is how you're going to see whether, you know, how your um, state or localized um, area is going to do related to sex education. At the federal level, I think it's going to be much, as it's been for a while, a standstill, mm-hmm. especially depending on how the Georgia, you know, we're, we're taping this today, how the Georgia election shakes out, right? Mm-hmm. So if Ossoff and Raphael Warnock um, win, you may see a little bit of movement. I don't think you'll see a full-on comprehensive sex education bill pass, right. um, even though that there is one and we need it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but i think that that it will mean one party controls all you know the white house the and both chambers um and so that there could be some movement happen if they don't win it's just going to be another stall and so there's not there's
0: not going to be a lot happening at the federal level it makes it it's another roadblock to whatever progression is happening that's not going to stop it necessarily um so out of all of this of what's happening politically have there been any glows that you can bring into this space in terms of wins at the local level that you're aware of even if it's like dmv related oh yeah
1: i yeah i mean you know i think that there has been um so like and i'm sorry in DC, mm-hmm. they are trying to move towards sex positivity okay. um, in their sex ed programs. Um, they want to talk about pleasure okay. um, in sex ed in DC. Now that's DC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's some that's a win. Like you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, if someone was saying, "Hey, I want to talk about pleasure," you know, I mean, look at Joycelyn Elders, you know, and talk, yeah. you know, all of. Um, how what they thought was radical back then like they are talking about pleasure in in the dc public schools is what they're is what they're hoping to do um there are places like vermont Mm. who passed a um a bill that was really to start addressing racial justice in the school systems wow which you're right you know um that one didn't get a lot of attention Um, i think vermont is happy that it didn't because that allowed it to pass Right. um but they are you know talking about microaggressions and talking about um power and privilege and um you know much further than what most school districts will be um doing as it relates to racial justice um and then even in like smaller states right s- smaller um uh, like my home state of Alabama um, they are adamantly working to remove the harmful LGBTQ language from okay. their state statue. So, you know, not the biggest, you know, prog- but the, it's something, right? right. It, it's those incremental wins. The other thing that I will say, South Carolina is another one that I think should get a little bit of shine mm. for what has um, happened there. So South Carolina um, for a long time prohibited you from talking about LGBTQ young people in sex education mm. or in schools teachers mm-hmm. were not allowed to say it. So much that yeah. when I was doing the trainings for them, they were like, hold on, I can't say this in the school district. Mm-hmm. A lawsuit was filed against the state of South Carolina, um, saying that that was unconstitutional. Wow. Um, our side won. And so now teachers must acknowledge LGBTQ young people and their lived experiences when teaching um, education in South Carolina. Um, so that's, that's really big. Mm-hmm. Um, Washington state just, um, they had passed legislation to mandate sex education. Um, I saw that. Yeah. The, the opposition came back and was like, no, no, no. We don't want this. Let's take it to a vote uh-huh. put a ballot initiative in November. And the voters overwhelmingly said, yes, we want a sex ed mandate. And why that is so important, I, I think people don't always talk about why that is so important. Um, most states right so california colorado have the comprehensive the comprehensive sex education right so if Mm -hmm. you teach sex education it must be comprehensive there's no mandate though so there's Mm -hmm. nothing to say that you have to teach sex education the problem with that is goes back to my earlier point most folks who are getting sex education or comprehensive sex ed are white so Mm -hmm. without that mandate at least there's a disparity on who's getting sex ed quality sex education Washington state said, oh, no, we are mandating this. And so you have a, a stronger opportunity for, to reduce the disparity among who gets sex education. And so that's why that's so critical. So yay, Washington.
0: A big deal, especially when you take it from the, the stance of that it's not necessarily a mandate, because even if it's put into place, it doesn't have to be a mandate. That's exactly right. Oh, that's a big deal. And, but then even still, I think about the folks that are going to be mandated, what does that look like in terms of what they already have limited access for? Now that,
1: so that's where policy and practice needs to improve, right? Yeah. So we can put the policy in place, but the actual rollout of it needs a lot of work. And, and, I and that's that different. That, it, that is completely different. Mm-hmm. And that's where we still have a lot of work to do we will never not work. I see. We will never not work. We, yes. (laughs) Oh, we won't get paid much, but we will never not
0: work. Listen. Um, there's so many layers to this. All right. So talk to me about the journey and you don't, you know, as much as you want to say the journey into, uh, making the decision to be uh, your own founder and doing this consultant work and still doing it with the lens of policy and reproductive justice.
1: So that, so this journey was not a, a um, one that I wanted to, that I had planned on doing. Mm. Um, I have come, I've been in this space for about 12 years, 12, mm-hmm. 13 years, um, given the math, <laughs> math is hard. Um, <laughs> but I've been in this space for a long time now um, mm-hmm. and I have worked um and pride, primarily, predominantly white-led organizations. Um, the only one that I didn't, that wasn't quite led and was my, um, the majority of Black folks was GCAP, surprisingly. The Georgia mm-hmm. Campaign for Adolescent Power and Potential used to be pregnancy prevention. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was run by, um, it, ever since I had been there, there was a Black CEO, that 98% of the staff was Black. Like, so that organization reflected what Atlanta looked like, right? right. So, were in Atlanta, so it, it reflected Atlanta. Um so they did a really good job on that. But any other organization that I had worked for, um, white led, white board, white, yeah, yeah, um, and so that brought a lot of challenges. I remember sitting in one of um, the meetings of one of these white led organizations being the only black woman around the table, and the board chair, a white man who is still really prominent in the field and Puts out a whole bunch of stuff around sex education mm. and teen pregnancy. Compared the Congressional Black Caucus to bottom feeders, and I was like, "Oh, so no, no one's gonna say anything. No one, none of y'all. We're, we're just gonna be okay with this." And I was like, "Oh, this is how y'all do. So if you say this, and I'm sitting at the table, imagine would y'all say what a, when I'm not. You know, when we're not here. Like, because you have censored yourself enough for this ta- this room, right. or maybe you haven't, but." So that was that. But what I, I realized in my time, especially over the last maybe three to four years, five Mm -hmm. years, I had been burned out. I was burned out. Like this field, as much as I love it had just kicked me and I just couldn't, I was, I needed a break. Um, so I left my job that I had been at for about three years or so. Um, in the middle of a pandemic, left without a job, um, and was like, okay, it can't get much worse. So um, Tracy Gilbert, I I credit her a lot for like pushing me a little bit. Um, Mm. It's like, you need to be doing your own thing. And so I did. I I left and started Take Root Strategies. Um, And what I've been so thankful is that the partnerships or the relationships that I had while doing this work immediately immediately i had contracts Mm -hmm. um to do this work and so you know i have been income and so it just reaffirmed like this was the right decision and i'm happy you know Mm -hmm. like i am not i we're still in a pandemic and i'm not stressed of of work you know right um And, you know, and if I do, it's my stress of my own making, right? Mm -hmm. Not the stress of these white-led organizations who aren't going to do what's really needed for sex education, right? Who, you know, you and I have talked about this, who want to do racial justice, but not really the, you know, and so I'm tired. I was tired of really fighting for um, what racial justice should look like within these organizations and the messaging that, that was coming out. Um, the last thing I'll say around this is I was working with, you know, one of the in, in one of these organizations, and they were trying to do, they were trying to reach um, li- like the Latinx community, right. Mm-hmm. But they refused to put an Afro Latino uh, um, person like, on any of their publications. They're like, that's a black girl. And I was just looking, I was like, huh, this is what we're doing. We're doing that. Yeah, it's time.
0: racial justice, right? We're going to conflate that We
1: are doing racial justice, but that's, but that's what you want to do. Okay.
0: Yeah. And and that's why we need to get clear and intentional when we talk about racial justice because it can't be racial justice if anti-Blackness is still in play. That's the thing. There is so much
1: anti-Blackness, but no one wants to have, like, they're not ready for that conversation, right? They want to say racial justice, but when you talk about bring up anti-blackness, and actually, and so then that the conversation shuts down. Mm-hmm. What I've also realized, Cindy Lee, is that they don't actually want to talk about racial justice. One of the things that I have noticed in this field is they will say LGBTQ, 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 left, front, sideways, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the minute that you bring up race, racism, anti-black, the co- conversation shuts. Well, why whoa, do we whoa, need to whoa. talk about that? <laughs> why is that relevant for what we're doing? And I, I'm like, oh, so you don't understand this field at all. You don't understand what the work
0: is. Um, so, yeah. And that's the problem because, you, you know, when we work behind the scenes in those ways, we see that. But then when you do your press releases and... You know, highlight the work that you've been doing or that your employees have, have been doing. That part. You want you want the accolade. And I feel like what does it look like to want racial justice and not want to do it for the sake of not wanting to be held accountable for not doing it? Right? That's
1: right. You don't want to appear racist. You don't want to appear out of step with where everything is, but you don't actually want to do the work um, to change uh what is needed to be changed or Mm -hmm. to address um what's needed to be addressed and you're not willing to give up anything right or make space
0: that's that's you know who said it i forgot who said it but it was um equity feels like oppression to the privileged right so they're uncomfortable with having to give stuff up or they're uncomfortable with when you ask us what's you
1: know what can we do and the
0: first thing i say is quit right step up yes oh no that's too far
1: i can't do that yes no we'll just go and hire or underpay a person of color to come in and do this work for us Mm -hmm. and get the accolades um and that's what we've done and you know it's not sustainable because yeah. what you're doing is you're burning out really qualified folks in the field. And once they leave, the work kind of leaves with them because there's mm-hmm. no one to really know how to do it. Right. Um, because it's not to the core of who your organization is.
0: Right, right. And yet you want to keep that intellectual property because you, so, you think that shows face. But we've been known that we can tell when it's not sustainable or when it was somebody that left and And left that legacy. We all know
1: who is doing the work, right? Right. I know who in this organization is doing that work and who in this organization is doing that work. So regardless of who is talking about it, Mm -hmm. I know, and like folks in the field know, like, oh, that person actually was doing that work, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So you're not, you're not um, fooling anyone. We, we know who's doing the
0: work. Right. So. At the very least, you're, at the very least you're getting in the way, right? Like how can you leverage your power and privilege to, to let folks thrive with their ideas and their commitment to the work instead of burning them out with whatever you think is professionalism.
1: And even worse, you are um, able to get funding for work that folks have been doing for a very long time, have yes. invested their blood, sweat, tears Literally. into the research and study of this work. But because you are, um, you have money or you are a well-known organization or whatever that is, you get the visibility and you get access to where people are, have been like fighting. You know, I mm-hmm. think about it at, in tenureship or like teaching in, at universities. Yeah. Um, these white folks who come in and teach Afro, Afro <laughs> studies or something like that. And you're like, really? I had to fight to be an adjunct here to teach this. But you're sitting up here tenured, like teaching this stuff and have done nothing. Yep. I, I just.
0: And it's an audacity, right? Like I know programs that have black faculty and they just so happen to be the only staff that's non-tenured. Or the Correct. only staff that is adjunct. Mm-hmm. But yet those br- the brilliance from the adjuncts, you're going to say, look at us, we're so inclusive. That's exactly right. But not enough to offer them full time because budget. And that is the sex ed field. And, and I know this has nothing to do with nothing, but I always think about when Queen Latifah had her talk show, right? Mm-hmm. And she found out she was canceling it. Or like it was canceled for whatever reason. Yeah. It was like the beginning of a fall, like the end of this quarter, right? Like the fourth quarter is when she found out. She took it out of her pocket and made sure that everybody was paid until the end of the year. Right. Right. And I know she has access to do that, but it makes me think about these white led organizations. You have money, you have capital, you have social capital, you have the opportunity to call somebody that at least one or two degrees from some type of power. What does it look like to utilize, let somebody utilize that without, you know, without doing a press release, without needing a kudos for it, but because they're already doing the work, why create a similar initiative to this local organization over here because you have national pull.
1: Right. Like, what is it to say, don't fund me. Right. You know, I actually haven't been doing this this long mm-hmm. This is an idea that I came across. Actually, this state based organization has been doing this for 15 years has been doing this for 10 years in community.
0: Mm-hmm. Take a look at them. Mm-hmm. And
1: maybe we can partner under them if they so choose. Right. But really, you need to fund them because they are the ones who are actually doing this work. Right. Um, all the, and that's and, like that, what are you willing to give up conversation? Right.
0: And mo- a lot of these local orgs are at risk of closing down or imagining the orgs that have already shut down or have had to shut down some sh- sort of programming because of that, that lack of access. Right. And the fact that you right. have these no barriers versus you know, us trying to do it at this local level and us still not being able to do it, but you're gonna come in because you have multiple uh routes to do it. Um, so for folks who, cause I'm like, we'll we'll go down this rabbit hole forever. I can talk to you mm-hmm. forever about this because uh, unfortunately we have enough receipts to continue to talk about
1: so this. many receipts.
0: Uh, but it's good. I'm glad to have a conversation. Ones. Listen it's it's one of it's a cvs one it's a stop and shop one with the coupons and all of that (laughs) yes uh so in terms of you i want to like i see the joy twofold right because you're a founder of your own consultant firm you 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 stepped out on your purpose and was like i'm gonna make this happen what better time than now during a time when Folks are struggling in their own ways, right? And you like showed up for yourself.
1: And I will admit that there is some, there is a, a large level of privilege to be able to do that. And so I am not even going to not, you know, I, I am in a two-house income household. My yeah. partner, um, federal government. You, you gotta damn near kill someone to get fired from the federal government. And so, you know, maybe I was, yes. do, I was able to, yeah, yeah, able to do it. And so, um. I, I do want to acknowledge that piece because, yeah.
0: I appreciate that because it's also us recognizing most of the privilege. You know, I can't speak for you, but I'm like, most of the privileges that we have are, are earned, right? It's not something that we magically obtained. It, it was earned or it was like generational, like, okay, maybe I'm one or two generations from some having some type of access. Not aspect. only that,
1: but like to be seen in the sex ed field, for, it, for me, Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about, you know, I talk about the different roles that I've had. I've been a trainer, I've been a facilitator, I've worked in policy, I've done program The only reason I did all of that was because no one like I couldn't get another job without having done the one the other thing. Yeah. So no one actually saw me as a policy person until I had been a curriculum person or I had done these mm-hmm. trainings, or whereas people are showing up at the table fresh out of college, and I'm like, you don't know shit but here i am had to do all of these different things just for you to um acknowledge that i had the skill set to be able to do these things um and so to your point yes it it is or like you have to work hard that that statement about you know twice three times as good as the next white person that is legit mm-hmm. um be, because you especially in these, these white led organizations, you know, it's not enough to have the education or the, the job experience. You've got to have both and you have to have so much more Mm -hmm. than everyone else.
0: To get what people get at baseline. That's exactly right absolutely so then now that you're here showing up for yourself doing take root strategies what are the things that give you joy that people should seek you out for because now you can choose now you don't have to do the things that are you know told to by you know micromanaged or you know any type of organization or grant right what are the things that you want folks to contact you for that that you know give you joy in that sense
1: the things that give me so much joy is anything related to access Mm-hmm. And like policy, I you say shimmy, Marietta says sparkle. I, I'm gonna say vibrate. Like I get yes. so much vibration from policy um, things. Um, whether it is drafting bill legislation, I will draft someone a model legislation mm-hmm. in a heartbeat and love it. Mm-hmm. it. It's something I I can do over dinner, and then I'll be done. You know, mm-hmm. I can I can get it done really quickly. I can work with school districts on policy. I can tell you what your your landscape would be and kind of where you should be focusing policy-wise mm-hmm. in your community or in your state. Um, or, you know, because I've had to do a lot of different things, I got another contract where I'm just training health educators, right? Oh, um, I enjoy training. So right now, one of the co- contracts that I work with um, is with the Department of Juvenile Justice in South Carolina training them to facilitate sex education with um their young people who are in in djj in south carolina Mm -hmm. um so doing trainings with adults um i i love adult learning and so i'm here to do trainings so policy education and trainings are the things that bring me the most joy Mm. Um, yeah I also like working with organizations mm-hmm. that um, don't always have they they don't have the national kind of brand or yeah. visibility. Um, organizations that want to do policy but don't have the capacity,
0: mm. and so
1: here I am. Yeah, um, so if you are a community based organization thinking of doing policy, state based organization thinking of doing policy but don't have the budget to bring on a full-time person Mm -hmm. um, I'm happy to help strategize and think through what a policy work could look like to get Mm -hmm. you to a place to where you can eventually bring on someone to carry it and and so that's what I'm doing in Michigan right now
0: Mm, that's beautiful and hopefully they look continue to hire her and if you want to do full-time you know hire her to help with the process of onboarding folks right like that's what it sounds like right support that space and the infrastructure when it comes to policy right that's right see so i'm gonna put all your information in the podcast notes because everyone needs to know about some jennifer driver like i'm excited and and it's it brings me joy how much how how clear you are in your intentions and what knowing what it is you want to do because i know when i i was a baby sex person nobody really spoke to us about what it would look like to choose the things that you don't have to work at a nonprofit if you don't want to. Some people find joy in that, right? Like, or you don't have to be a PhD if that's not where your joy is.
1: Right. right? I I don't see a a PhD in my future. One, Mm -hmm. it's expensive. Mm -hmm. Two, I'm not the best student, right? Mm. Um, And so like, that's not where I um, see my future. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I know that there is a place for me yeah. in all of this work. And so, you know, um, one of the things that I often had told my students when I, when I teach is like, you know, find where your place is and then determine what's needed in mm-hmm. order to kind of be in that space. And for me, a PhD is not needed for where, I, where the things that bring me joy. Um, and so I, I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah. Um, I like, to me, that's beautiful because it shows that there are multiple journeys and destinations in this work and it doesn't have to be, you know, whatever cookie cutter frame you thought it was, or for a lot of us that were disillusioned being like, oh, there's nothing, you can't strive in this field. You either have to accept whatever, you know, position it is or whatever lack of power. And then you just have to stay there because survival et cetera. But like, if we have the privilege and access to be able to stand in our purpose, what would it look like? And to me, you model that, right? Like,
1: I think also, you know, it's easy to have these, um, these organizations dictate for you mm-hmm. what your future should look like. Um, and once I stopped that, I, I felt a little bit more free. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I had I know that that happened for me early on in my career. I was like, okay, well, you know, I need a college education, which I knew that I right. need a master's degree. I needed, a, and, I, and I almost went and did a chess and I was like, wait, do I need that? Right. Um, and so I, for me, I didn't, some people may need it and may and right. want it. do you, but right. do it because that's what you need and what you want, not because you're trying to fulfill some, Um, something for an organization who may or may not keep you or um, have your best interest. And so that, that was something that I had to learn.
0: Absolutely. So then with that, on the personal level, where are you centering your joy now, aside from, you know, the joy in, in creating your own magic? Where's your, on on the
1: personal level, Mm -hmm. my joy, um so i just put up these holiday direct decorations behind me today um uh it's not thanksgiving which i don't actually celebrate but like you know whatever um (laughs) i i put up these decorations so that that brought me joy today um for me um i thought that like the human interaction i needed that and like COVID has really taught you to kind of um that you can't have the human interaction. So what's Mm. I think bringing me the most joy personally, is like rediscovering what makes me happy. And like, for me, it's like sitting with myself, I've been meditating a lot Mm -hmm. more um, and like just finding um, um, kind of peace within the quiet that Mm -hmm. that I've been kind of forced to have. Um, And now I actually just enjoy it, just like Mm -hmm. sitting in silence, which Mm -hmm. I love. Um, and I, I didn't really appreciate before, you know, everything that had happened. Yeah. Um, so I am enjoying that. And I, I, I'm enjoying my partner. Um, yes. Today's her birthday. So happy (gasps) birthday, Shavina. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of that is kind of just bringing me joy. Good. Good. And you know, you're like in a, I'm in a, I live in DC. I'm in a tiny apartment. Mm -hmm. Um, it's two of us, so you gotta really love the person you're with when you're in this Listen. little apartment. Mm-hmm. And so, um, there is joy in that we have made it what eleven months now, however long <laughs> COVID has happened, um, and we are still really happy. And you know, we're still here, so that's Look, good. That's a big deal. <laughs> it, it really is. This is a lot of time together.
0: And yes. So, yeah. it it feels like its own, like, retreat. Like, how do we communicate and love each other? That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Give each other space in a 500-square-foot apartment. Like, what does space look like? Right, right.
0: So. Yes. And and look, I don't know what 2021 will bring us, but I know folks don't want to hear, but I'm like, 2020 isn't by itself. Isn't it? Isn't this? one-time iteration it's what is the future looking like now that we've had all of this like how do we bring that to 2021 and continue to adapt and recognize that like we have no control over a lot of things that we were comfortable in
1: that's right yeah you had no control but also like what have we learned from 2020 Mm -hmm. that we need to make some significant changes Mm -hmm. um both in our society, our structures, our institutions, our work, the way we do our work, the way we live our lives. Yeah. Um, What I always knew, but was also reinforced, is how um, Black and Brown folks have always centered around community. Mm -hmm. And that has really elevated for me in 2020. Um, You always knew it. Like, I knew it inherently. But to see it, see people taking care of each other, Um, during this time has just Mm -hmm. been really beautiful Mm -hmm. um and that's something that I I just really love seeing I love my people and like it's just really it's been really beautiful yeah
0: Yeah, it's fortifying and I'm super grateful for we can't have no face-to-face interact like you know skin to skin but we can have face-to-face and check in in the ways that we can while we're navigating whatever this is
1: that's exactly right yeah for sure I know because I saw you last week and I was like, ah,
0: hi, uh, I love you. <laughs> a lot of these calls I would not make. Like it's almost like that meme. Like who's coming? Who's going? Who's that mm-hmm. call? Okay.
1: I was like, wait, hold on. Tell me who's coming? Nope, I'm not going. That's all right. You keep that. <laughs> like
0: I'm okay. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'll be here in my stillness. Yes. In my stillness. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to make this a, the an incredible teachable moment on so many levels and layers. And it's making me think and process about where I need to look into in terms of local and what power we have that sometimes we forget that we can play a part in this system as fucked up as the system is.
1: The one thing I will leave everyone with Mm -hmm. is a a call for more folks in policy. Mm -hmm. It may not be, I think that you had thought about like, oh, there is like a, a role or a space for me in policy. And yeah. maybe I need to look into that, you know, or, you know, what type of policy can I do? Because there's, I think it's a really wide range,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: I know that when I show up at a lot of these spaces, I am one of the very few folks of color around the table. Um, and I firmly believe If the folks around the table don't look like you, they're not representing the community. They're not going to be serving the community that you come from. Um, And so I just wanted love to see more sex ed black and brown folks doing policy. Um, And so if anyone is wanting to do that, please let me know because we need we need you yeah yeah.
0: let's get some policy folks here to contact jennifer driver to contact take root so that we can boltron on on the policy wavelength i can learn from you and i can help in whatever capacity that i can help to
1: yeah thank you thank you so much for having me
0: thank you um for all you know the and what is it what's the word thank you everyone for listening If you got some questions i'm like what's the word of wrapping up i'm like if you have questions please contact sex on shuffle at gmail please get in contact with jennifer driver for all your policy needs around sex ed reproductive health justice rights centering black and brown folks and their needs and access all y'all local folks we got folks that'll help you with the alley-oop if you need support around policy if that's your growing edge we have somebody who is ready, willing, and able. Jennifer, thank you again. I appreciate you with all of my heart. I send you all my shimmies and I hope you have so much fun celebrating your lover today. Yay!
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.